0: Most podcasts try to sell you productions at this time of year, but at the PeggyMount.com festive sale, we're putting things right up. There's increases on the drinking. There's increases on the bad language, and as for getting things a bit wrong, we can't even keep track. It must be the festive spirit. So just sit back, enjoy, and ask your local podcast provider to put the calamity right up. Sales start December the 10th. All items subject to availability. And all the hosts remembering to put it in their notes to begin with. You get what you don't pay for. No returns, faulty, or otherwise.
1: I fucking love that Castle has gone double burgundy here. Yeah. It's beautiful. St. Royston of Castle. On the trailer, behind him, that he's dragging on there, after Roy Castle says, with his mouth, that there are 290 cups, are there (laughs) A. 96 cups on the tray, B. 144 cups on the tray, or C. 198 cups on the tray?
0: And Funnily enough, it was nice that Tom's hair resembled um, the guts of Barbara Bain. D- uh, to be fair, it looks like somebody's back-combed a flump. <laughs> <laughs> exit stage left. Alright, hello and welcome to the first of three Christmas crackers from the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And we're here because the goings-on of the telly box are as much a part of the festive season as the hem on Mary's frock. As is tradition, on such occasions, we have a guest who's not in the studio with us, oh no, but has been kind enough to dial in live from Judith Chalmers' outhouse in Gloucester. He's got more stardust than Alvin, more chase than Lorraine, and, oh, well, it says something here about an author called Philip K, but we'll leave that one there. It's Mr Ozzie Bognops. Gentlemen, good evening. Lovely to see you both.
1: Very good evening to you.
0: Yes, how are you doing, man? You good? Yeah, I'm good, you know, no complaints so far. But then we've only just started. Well, this is very true. I need a drink.
1: Yes, hello to you all. Thank you for dropping into our casual cultural critique of Christmas television, where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from the tree, because here, all twinkle-treed roads lead to the mountain. If you go over to peggymountpod.com, info for the episodes we're discussing is in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello and wish us a Merry Christmas, and ask us why we haven't torn open the paper on what is clearly a Ronco egg boiler yet. Before we try to suffocate our audience for a laugh because the programme budget wouldn't run through a risk assessment, gentlemen, I've got to ask, what are we drinking? Well,
0: it's Christmas, so I've pushed the boat out. Right. Which is unfortunate because I live nowhere near a harbour and now it's blocking the neighbour's drive. Anyway, (laughs) due to the fact that I'm mint, I thought I'd treat myself and do a tour around some nice department stores. Okay. So first off, it's Fortnum & Mason's Argentinian Malbec. Good Lord. Shakana. Chicana. Chaka Khan, Chaka Yes, indeed. Think of blackberries and chocolate. Gatto in a bottle. I bought two bottles and I'm one in, so be warned. Is this where hey. the sponsors' money's gone? Believe it. Has the case arrived? Is that one?
1: What about yourself, Mr. Bognobs? Port. Beautiful. Yep.
0: Yeah, a nice bottle of Nagarash's buttock beater. Ooh. Guaranteed a hobnail boot up the arse with every sip. You can squeeze one in, can't you? Oh by how can I. Very good, very good. Mr. Blackout.
1: Tonight I've got a can of Winter Lost Out by the Gritchy Brewing Company in Ashmore Salisbury. By the whom? The Gritchy Brewing Company. That's the Gritchy Brewing Company in Ashmore, yeah, yeah. Salisbury.
0: Good, good, because I want some of that. They can send us that them. Mm-hmm. The Gritchy Brew Company. Nice, nice, I like that. That's the one. Right, okay. We're um we're all getting licked up. That's what we like. And so to the first of our holy trinity of treats. And to a programme that essentially and fundamentally was all about bragging, boasting, and overinflated statistics. Pass the remote.
1: Record breaker. If you're the tallest, the smallest, if you beat them all, if you're the fattest, the thinnest, if you always win, if you're the fastest, the slowest, if you really go, then you're a record breaker. Yes, Record Breakers was a factual entertainment programme from the BBC, which broadcast to its school age audience between 1972 and 2001, over 30 series and 276 episodes. Fronted by absolute trooper Roy Castle and assisted in this golden era by one or both of the McQuarters, the show took a light-hearted but intricate look at the Guinness Book of World Records, the amazing feats conducted to earn a place in it, and the people skilled and dedicated enough to do so. We've watched the second ever episode, which just happens to be their very first Christmas special, originally broadcast on the 22nd of December 1972 at quarter past five in the afternoon. So the last thing we expect to see was two solid minutes of precision prick action, followed by a man expertly rearranging his balls for another eight. Record
0: breakers. Now, you mentioned the music, Doctor. There's something that quite chills me about this episode from the very outset, almost the very outset. And you're looking at me notes. Come on. And this is who the fuck are the band? Right. And why well, are they not credited at the end? And why does every single link sound like a man leaning on an organ whilst a guy goes ba-bum-tish on a Bon drunk kid? This is the thing, right? OK, so what a damp squib of an opening. Yeah. It's Peter Fenn,
1: but when he's blackout drunk. That's it.
0: Right. <laughs> I, I hadn't realised we were bereft of theme tune at this early part of the brand. Yeah, yeah. And what we do get... Well are we at butlins because uh, that that organ little bit that's going on there is an insult quite frankly that's not butlins
1: that's church hall come on
0: yeah oh i don't know it remind. it's a bit hidey high round the pool (laughs) well the reason it could be a church hall is sounds like there's only one fucking mic for the whole evening yes yes that would explain the deathly awkward silence which lingers throughout this program, hanging in the air like
1: a smog. It is fair yeah. to say that this program is literally in its infancy here.
0: Oh, Are yeah. we watching the pilot? <laughs> in which case, I because... think probably the first five years were a pilot, Doctor. Well, right. God
1: bless. Roy Castle opens this show with this, like, with, with what I can only describe as a two-camera intensity, usually reserved yes. for Crime Watch.
0: Well, it's crime watch and also if you switch the camera off and just had the voice going on That could be an audition for Gordon Honeycomb's part on Arthur Clarke Mysteries <laughs> Are we being watched? You say turn the camera off, they are. They do have one thing in common and that's powder blue slacks Yes, yes. And a burgundy suede gansey and a Ribena roll neck and nice. a man with, with a terrifying glare reading the autocue like he's wearing a fucking neck brace.
1: I fucking love that Castle has gone double burgundy here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful.
0: Saint Royston of Castle. I mean, just... Uh, in, you couldn't have put it better in your introduction, Blackout. I mean, the man was a saint. Absolute saint. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. The man is holding this together.
1: Which is why he gets a licence for those those slacks. Which is what? Um, what on the screen I watched it on, they just look ocean grey.
0: Yeah, yeah. It is right. it, actually written on his BBC contract, licensed to Slack.
1: Yes, with a Cuban heel as well. It's outstanding. With a
0: Cuban heel. He's rocking it, man. Yeah. He's rocking it. He, he knows. He knows. Okay, so we brush over a few facts. We'll just we'll rattle through this because there's so many bits and pieces.
1: This is the thing, mind. The first forty-five seconds of this program assures you that there's going to be lots of facts and fuck all yeah. fun. Right. Well, uh, depends how you interpret the facts, you see. Um,
0: <laughs> but fortunately, the incompetent visuals help the program to move along. For example. Uh, when we look at the world's biggest teddy bear, Mr Chad, the teddy bear, uh-huh. is is the teddy bear comatosed on Johnny Walker Red Label? <laughs> it could be. It could be. Um, apparently, it, it also has some very interesting lordosis because it appears to have not only a curvature of the spine, but a curvature of the, of the stuffing, which is quite... <laughs> <laughs> it's a very serious problem, that. Well, there's something far more serious than that. It's quite clear to me that the kids are basically reacting at gunpoint because yes. the only time they ever make a noise yep. is when R- St Roy says, record breaker. Yep. And they've clearly yeah. been told, when he says those two words, scream your fucking head off. Uh-huh. I, think, I think they're <laughs> hypnotised. <laughs> <laughs> well, they all yeah. grew up to go on Nightmare. I think that's the worrying thing. Mind you, I don't know mm. what's worse, um, the, the chilling, cheering of the kids... Or the Jedward of the nineteen seventies, the McWhirter twins. Bless them. You mentioned nightmare earlier. D- it, now, <laughs> they're aesthetically sinister. Yes. In a in a in a in a Kubrick film sort of a way. I can't explain it. No, that's no, that's but, it. Oh, I nail, can
1: nail on the head. Stanley Kubrick invented the McWhirters.
0: Yes. But the way the program is edited, because of the breakneck speed with everything they have to cram in in the twenty-eight minutes or whatever it is, all of a sudden. They cut to the next scene, and one of them's there. It's like ectoplasm. just yes. turns up.
1: <laughs> but Aussie's already hit the first nail on the head. One of the problems that this programme runs into straight away is we've got the world's biggest Christmas stocking and the world's biggest teddy bear. They're both in the studio. Yeah. And it immediately underlines the problem with this aspect of like the record-breaking ethos. Someone, somewhere, is going to watch that and go, OK, I'll just make one bigger. We don't learn anything about how or why these were made, so the accolade is fucking pointless.
0: Well, there's one thing that does come to mind, and that is I would sooner spend the rest of the programme drinking that three-litre bottle of Chanel. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I love one little detail, which I'm sure you both saw, which is the tiny little pencil mark on the desk where to put this world's smallest bottle of scotch. Yep. Yeah, cap, Hit your cap, mark Ross, caramark. hit your mark Absolutely absolutely. I don't know if you um twigged this as well When we first get a, a shot of the McWhirter twins uh The way the set's designed There there are little um sort of dividers Black dividers all the way going round in the back And a little trick back in the day When they used split screen They'd have a little mark So they would know where to split the screen etc It uh-huh. did look like they were split screen could, some Indeed, batons. It's a thought yeah, but so I the, don't the, think
1: they're quite identical Enough for that to be the case
0: it's the hair parting. That's the only thing that made the difference. A distance on a 1972 Ferguson Unless, TV like, set. Unless, like, you
1: know, they filmed Ross first and then they punched him in the mouth, sat him on the other side of the studio going, now you are Norris. Now you do your bit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> punched him in the mouth. <laughs> that, should, that should be on a T-shirt. Uh-huh. Now you are Norris. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. I'll tell you what, good Lord, good Lord, are they all reading autocue carved in
1: fucking marble? <laughs> As it's been carved, yes.
0: Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and the brainy Korean kid, I'm i am really... I mean, four and a half years old, fair enough. Clearly, parents, thicker as don't know how to cut a boy's hair.
1: This is mad. This is mad. We go to a full 70-second VT segment. With, with commentary, uh, yeah, about this South Korean kid on Japanese TV. He's the most intelligent person in the world. This footage is from 1966. So the time, at the time of the show going out, this kid's about 10, right? Which means uh-huh. he's certainly intelligent enough not to appear on this programme.
0: That's not my only problem. All right, I have two two points about this little clip that they show. First of all, turn the audio track down yes. on the actual y- bit yes. of footage, because I, yeah. I can't hear a Meg here. Uh-huh. Um, also, what is this child doing now? Because if there's one person on this planet who could have invented teleport, it's him. But no, selfish... No, he actually he went into semi-retirement, uh, hit the bottle and invented um, hair clippers. <laughs> right, right, fair, fair play, OK.
1: I love the bit with Roy Castle sitting there and he's going, this is a £1,000 note from 30 years ago. Is it really, Roy? Because, yeah, it very, looks very much like that was run off on the fucking Xerox this afternoon.
0: Absolutely. I'm, I'm yeah. surprised he wasn't getting high off the band of fluid, but maybe he'd had a swig of the old Chanel. <laughs> Mind, I'll tell you what... I will tell you something. They're clearly putting something in the water in Illinois, aren't they? <laughs> yes, good Lord. The tallest man, the heaviest man. <laughs> yeah. Good, good, good. Now, now, question. When they do... When Roy Castle stood there and he's dressed in the trousers of the tallest man and the jacket of the world's heaviest man. Yeah. 76 Clem, <laughs> this man was. The exact word I've written down. 76 Clem. <laughs> Why? Why are they designing jackets with such a loud pattern on for a man with a 104-inch chest?
1: To be visible from space. Um. (laughs)
0: Poor bugger. Because America. They may as well put a sign on the man's back saying, I am a building.
1: Why? why? So, yeah, we get this bit with Roy Castle, and he's basically standing next to a giant ruler with these, like, massive long trousers. Would that be Genghis Khan? Ridiculous long wig and this huge jacket and this entire thing is a fucking shambles because the McWhirters have been sent to come and assist them somehow. They are doing precisely nothing to make this any less painful.
0: And it's clearly like, OK, you know, you're the bright, chipper um, host and you're the one most personable to kids, so let's make you look like a fucking dick and um, cover you in hair.
1: I couldn't even work out what the hell was going on there. I thought he was trying to turn him into Wolverine.
0: Another band sting, and they decided to use a whole forearm on the on the Hammond organ. At this point, <laughs> gentlemen, do we think that the interstitial thing—the I can't do it on my microphone—the sort of, ooh, bang, was that not the most terrifying fucking thing you've ever seen? It reminded me of the, um, the uh, Rainbow, you, you know. Yes, uh, mm-hmm. they, they used to do little. It reminded me of that. Uh-huh. I reckon it's the same company. Yeah, I'll have to do some more digging into that. At this point, hearing about a man that was 76, Clem, um, I felt a bit hungry. So I'm pleased the next item came along, about the 1817 uh, large Christmas lunch that was thrown for folk.
1: 132 dishes, let me Indeed. tell you. Again, why is this on here?
0: Well, especially when he describes the different meat dishes and one of them is, and I quote, black cock. <laughs> yes, that's right, yeah. Wood cock <laughs> and black cock, yeah. The, the 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 what black cock? I went and looked it up. It is um, it's a large, sort of black chicken, really. Oh, well, I guess that. But of course, the other thing is, you talk about cutting food up, and you talk about you know cutting it to make it good to good to eat. The BBC, of course, at this time decided that oh, we can't um, bring videotape and everything to a hotel to film a fucking mince pie so they cuts ah. to that dear old staple 16 mil film 16 mil film but I'm pleased you mentioned cutting because we do indeed cut to a segment about the world's largest mince pie huh. now when Roy cuts it into this it slices through that pie like a cake there's n- this is not a pie there's no crumbling of pastry here when he cuts when he puts that knife in
1: I can't tell how deep that pie is supposed
0: to be I feel deceived at Christmas. (laughs) Not half as deceived as the children's homes and the 230-odd kids that are going to actually feast on that
1: uncooked mince pie. Dr Velvet, I do hope you're not accusing the Record Breakers programme and Roy Castle in particular of telling lies. I feel deceived
0: at Christmas. Okay, I'm going to say a bit more on that, but first there's the tractor in the teacups.
1: Yes, speaking of lies... (laughs) Right, 12 minutes (laughs) in... Castle's doing a bit about the biggest teapot in the world, right? And one of the McWhirters drives on with this electric tractor. And he's dragging this little trailer and it's got some cups on it. Yes. And Castle says... It does, in fact, hold nine gallons of tea. That's the equivalent to this number of cups. Look at that. 290 in all. Now, I've paused that and I've counted them and there's fucking not 290 cups there. So, did either of Here you two do the same?
0: Yes. No, I didn't, I'm afraid. I would bow to the, the, to the, the people who would do that, namely you two, So, and how many are there?
1: Producer Ken, please start the music. Now, on, the, on the trailer... Are there Let me let
0: me, let, let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Go what on. has the Bank of England inflation calculator told you that have, how many cups are there
1: are? I, I haven't done that. I went to okay. um teacupcounter.com. Right.
0: Okay.
1: On the trailer behind him that he's mm. dragging on there after Roy Castle says with his mouth that there are two hundred and ninety cups. Are there <laughs> A ninety six cups on the tray? B one hundred and forty four cups on the tray. Or C one hundred and ninety eight cups on the tray.
0: I counted around about 150, so I would say A. And just purely because of looking at the still of it um, now, yes, I'd say about
1: 144. That's right. There's 140. Then I counted. That's less than half of what he said. Now, obviously, this is this is my count, obviously, based on what I can see on standard death footage filmed on video in 1972. But there's no fucking way in Baby Jesus' crib that there are 290 cups in that frame. Fancy lying to children at Christmas, the fucking nerve though. Have a two layers. Roy Castle might as well pour out cups of Ebola and then force each child in the audience to drink it. That's all I'm saying. I
0: think that's the threat why they have to cheer whenever he says record breakers.
1: There is this. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or we'll get one of these three fellas to start throwing darts at them. Question for you, gentlemen.
0: Is there a world record for most exciting hair, quiff and cardigan combination in a darts
1: match? There fucking is now. Absolutely.
0: Isn't there, though? uh, let's set the scene here okay we've got three gentlemen who are going to attempt a world record yeah and they've got to go round the dartboard scoring now is it a double in each a double in each from one to 20 yeah yeah. round the clock
1: playing doubles Bear in in mind kids this is why we're here this isn't just rhyming off lists of shit they're gonna do a fucking world record on the fucking television this is why you've tuned in
0: absolutely So we first of all we've got Tom Barrett. Uh, what a, what a gentleman! No hair, but the old school tie is yep, there, and it is. what looks like to be a metal badge bolted onto his cardigan. And yes. this I makes think it's actually it. bolted to his chest. I have a suspicion Correct. it's his tag.
1: This is it. it goes through. There's like there's like a stopper on the back, coming out of yep. his spine. Yes. And if you pull that badge
0: out, you just hear this slow deflation noise. <laughs> yes.
1: I thought he was. If you pull it out, it goes back in by a cord, and he says, "Attention, what's the password?" <laughs>
0: Oh, no, it goes, good arrows.
1: (laughs) I'd like it. I'd like it if the code went back in and he went, 180 cups of tea, not on that trolley.
0: (laughs) Brilliant. Oh, God, fabulous. Next up, we have Tommy O'Regan. Now, I can't get my head around this. Nor can he.
1: Can He's we can kept we kept his cardigan a accompaniment? Moment of quiet contemplation for his hair. I know yes. you I know you're yeah, coming yes. to it,
0: but it's gotta be it's gotta be the headline acts. He's kept his cardigan accompaniment simple with a grass green t shirt. That's right, that's yes. right. But but the hair Oh god, this tonsorial confection is the eighth wonder of the modern world.
1: You haven't you haven't even pointed out yet the, the fact that these are mustard yellow ribbed cardigans. This isn't you this isn't something you buy off the market. This is a fucking uniform.
0: You know when you win the Masters Golf and you get the green blazer? If you actually get more than ten at a game of darts without hitting the board underneath the dartboard or somebody's wife, you get one of those cardigans.
1: Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. If I was a mad dictator, all of my bodyguards would be wearing these cardigans.
0: It's it's not a kick in the arse away from the outfits on Space 1999, but anyway... <laughs> it's very true it. actually, yes. <laughs> and funnily enough, it was nice that Tom's hair resembled... Um, The guts of Barbara Bain. To be fair, it looks like somebody's backcombed a flump. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, we move on to the next contestant. Now, to be fair, it doesn't matter. This man could appear naked; he'd win every award just because of his name, Bill Duddy. Yep. What a name that is! (laughs) (laughs) What a name. He's conventionally attired, uh, as per the others, but he's gone for a freestyle quiff consisting of curls, and that I've just stepped from the wreckage of a fallen aeroplane. Look, this is it. It's what I can
1: only describe as a crinkle quiff.
0: A crinkle quiff. This man basically arrived at television centre, fell asleep in the dressing room, and they said, "Are you the Chinese food for the McWerters?" And he said, "No, I play darts."
1: He basically arrived by parachute after being blown down the M1 by a wind machine. That describes his hair
0: now i think you remember the dempsey and make peace episode gentlemen where the t-shirts were impregnated with heroin well it's quite clear that these cardigans are impregnated with heroin because what the band strike up is the wonderful version of rock around the clock this is the most heroin induced arrangement i've ever heard ever
1: right and i know we've made this sound like it's the high point of the show right and it, looking at their outfits, it is exciting. Um, but yeah, that rock around the clock is playing. That's good because they're playing what they call round the clock darts. And yes. there's, mm-hmm. but there's this sort of high pitched beeping going on at the same time. Thank you. Which is yes. which is meant to be? It's meant to be the countdown. That was actually the life support machine keeping me alive because this segment is boring as absolute fuck. Go. That's double one. Wow. Done two. Just missed three. Done three. Daddy double one. And
0: these guys would be complete shite on Bullseye.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Castle's just there going, missed, missed, (laughs) missed. Yes, exactly.
0: They're off trying to break the world record, and as you say, cue some accompanying music, at which point I thought I was having a stroke. Yes. I, I, so did the open th- I thought to myself, is this a new musical genre from the world of pop and rock that I don't know <laughs> no. about? Free fall a Dutch jazz, that's what it was. It was chronic, man. It was
1: what the hell? Two fucking minutes of three men frantically throwing darts at a board.
0: Not so much Bill Haley as Bill
1: Payment. The loosest of sort of commentary, because Cass is trying to spin all of the plates here, the only thing which kept me hanging in here, right? Was the mathematical mm-hmm. possibility that one of the McWorters was going to take a dart to the temple?
0: Right. Well, yes. to be fair, they're strong temples. The dart would have just snapped. Yes. <laughs> I've got a feeling the McWorter twins are related to Doctor Manhattan from the Watchmen. I've just got a feeling. But anyway, <laughs> let's move on.
1: Anyway, they stop the clock, and none they of the do. none of the three professional darts players got round to double twenty. So then, right, Castle points to Bill on the end right and he's like this means Bill is still the record breaker and the crowd go wild like whoa, whoa 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 no Roy no no no!" it means your show has spent three minutes of broadcast time achieving precisely fuck all he was the record breaker before the fucking programme started you've done nothing Roy leave
0: rescued it rescued it find the positive
1: God oh almighty
0: they had to find some positive because otherwise um, Charles Kern would say what's this shite they're putting on an afternoon you know Yep, just when you think things can't get any worse.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, this is the line I was going down.
0: Yeah, um, we we then decide to get an audience full of young children to hold their breath. Indeed, actively encouraging children to suffocate. Great can we, 70s can
1: television can right we take there a moment? in a nutshell. Can we take a moment to consider the implications of trying that in this day and age? A, a mm. studio full of school children. Who can hold your breath now, for the longest? Off you go.
0: This, this wasn't my main concern. Fucking this insane. wasn't my main concern because they were given certain instructions that they had to do: hold your nose, put your hand up, etc. Right? right? So he said, right. "Hold your nose, put your hand up, and hold your breath." Now, forgive me, forgive me, for thinking this. But when they're all partaken of this, if someone walked into the studio at that point, unbeknownst to the the context of everything, it must have looked like someone ferociously broke wind at a Hitler Youth <laughs> Rally.
1: Norris McFarter. Okay.
0: Norris McFarter. That's, that's what he's known as. That's yes. what his name is in the, uh, in the business. Those suits were white when that series started. <laughs> right?
1: Yeah. What I like most is that there are teachers in the audience with them. They're just letting this happen. They're fucking joining in. Fucking teacher back at school on Monday morning. Yeah, Frank didn't make it, I'm afraid. Sorry.
0: <laughs> I'm going to say one thing to you gentlemen. Mm. Go on. This is what you need to hear uh, at 4.45, you know, on a Tuesday, um, when you're getting in f- from school and having your tea. Billiards.
1: Of course. You know what? I'm fine with this. Because the we're here now. All Roy Castle needs is someone, fucking anyone else on the set, he can actually have a conversation with. There is that. Even a one as heavily scripted as this, and that's fine. So it's not until yes. we're 20 minutes in when he's talking to Rex Williams, that the show finally fucking relaxes. And,
0: and- unfortunately, Rex Williams chooses to be shaking like a shitting
1: dog. <laughs> he's hungover. Give him a break. Do you, know, do you know why the show manages to relax here? Because Williams is there to show off and bring a bit of levity. He's not actually trying to break any records. Which yeah, is what yeah, I yeah.
0: thought was going to happen. I thought they were going to try and get him to do a 1.47 against the clock.
1: Well, this is, the, this is the thing, you see. This programme only works when it forgets its own reason for existing.
0: I mean, they must have broken some records on it. They must have broken some records on it over the years. Oh,
1: later? Yeah. Not here, not in the second episode. Mind you, what I liked is that Rex Williams has got so much brill cream in his hair that the studio lights are refracting off it and blinding the kids in the audience.
0: Yes. What happened is, when he left the studio, they rung him out and used it for Captain Zep.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> So the first trick shot, gentlemen, so he would hit the red around another red to pop the black. Yep. Now, forgive me, and I'm probably reading both of your notes at this point, but he does rather shove the ball forward and the camera just happens to be in profile at the show like, wait, that's nout.
1: Seriously, after what we watched, I didn't fucking mind at all. I know I scoffed at the idea of snooker trick shots being suitable for Christmas television when we watched Valdunican, right? Yes. But... It's also important to note that we cut between camera angles throughout this segment on Record Breakers, but they are tracked in such a way as to show that this is all filmed in a single take. This is effectively live television. I think it's fucking mm-hmm. lovely. There mm-hmm. is a there yeah. is a reason that this segment is longer than anything else in the show.
0: The one thing I, I'm very happy and do not miss in any way, shape or form is that sting they played after every trick shot Virgo (laughs) did on Big Break. Oh, yeah. yeah. Gentlemen, when it comes to Roy's turn for a trick shot uh, and he has to pot the black, I love whoever... I cannot remember the name of the director of the programme, but it was legendary in its inefficiency of just not cutting away quite in time to watch him pot two reds as well. (laughs) Right, right. I felt deceived because I looked up a copy of the Radio Times for this week and it did say that uh, Castle was going to do some uh, snooker tricks with his arse. So, and because that didn't happen, I was actually quite good at it. But there we are.
1: Bit of trivia for you Roy Castle mm-hmm. is the translated name mm-hmm. of a 12th century chateau in Normandy, which holds the world record for the deepest catacombs reaching more than 4,000 feet under the earth. Ironically, this wasn't recognised by the Guinness Organisation until 2002, a year after the programme had finished broadcasting, So it never made it onto the show. It's true that you can look it up.
0: Mm, I will. The other thing I wanted to mention, just uh, in closing, about this segment about snooker trick shots is, I think the subtitle for this section is "Parting Wars" because Rex's parting is quite yes. something, but Roy Castle's parting is actually quite something else. It's it's at the top of his head. It is. <laughs> I've never seen that before. Mind you, the hairdresser said exactly the same thing. I imagine when they were doing it. Well, yes. Yeah. <laughs> before he before he took the blindfold off. Now, right. The ending of this show. Now we know that Roy Castle is a versatile musician, yeah. trumpet player, brass player. I mean, could get a sound out of a garden hose. Yeah. yeah he was. Yeah. I mean, he was so versatile. He could tap dance. He could sing. He could play the flute and the vibraphone. Um, there's, it's just ex- astonishing the talent he had. Mm -hmm. Why the fuck is he singing White Christmas in possibly, I would imagine, a Guinness World Record, world's worst impersonation of Bing Bastard Crosby?
1: This is the thing, you you see, from the angle you're sitting at, you can only see part of my notes. (laughs) He's, He's actually blagged the world record for the world's biggest bollocks for singing White Christmas on television in a single take without any earpiece.
0: Yes, and also, um, he is also using the world's cheapest BBC snow.
1: He'll want the medal, because the timing and the melody are fucking missing in action.
0: Yeah, but you know what the money for this programme was spent on? the Leslie cabinet for the organ because he uses it very sparingly. I think you're allowed five minutes of Leslie speaker on the Hammond organ in this episode. That's all they were allowed to have. And they decide (laughs) to pile it all on White Fucking Christmas. And my God, all the titles and get me out of here. What a fine note to end on, gentlemen. Yeah, more than the band could.
1: White Christmas!
0: Right, Okay. let's have final thoughts on this. Mr Ozzy Bognops. Well, gentlemen, um, I think this is solid BBC 1970s children's fair, Mm -hmm. i.e. educational. It's so quickly cut, it's so breathless, so there's no loss of attention, and it's pretty live, unlike what it became. However, I did enjoy it, um, and in early days... We know what it became, but um I still have a soft spot for anything BBC seventies. Six out of nine. Mr. Blackout.
1: Uh I love Roy Castle, but this show's got a long way to come in it. Four out of nine. Three of those are for Rex Williams.
0: I am amazed. Uh, At this show How it ran for as long as it did I've no idea Especially given the feel Of this particular early episode Empty Vacuous Devoid of warmth And very very awkward Folk are trying their best Particularly Roy Of course Ultimate respect for Roy Some facts are interesting But now As back then as a child I can take this show Or I can leave it Three pegs
1: Dr Velvet is a bastard
0: Yeah At Christmas as well I don't care Fair I don't care Fair are you telling me that for something I expected you both to score highly, I scored the highest number of pegs? Correct. Yep. Good Lord. Pass the port. Do you know what that means, Ozzy? Do you know what that means, Ozzy? You're a record, a record breaker! breaker! Just point the guns. But, Mr Blackout, the question on every CD cracker's lips is... How many potentially unachievable steps would it take you to tap dance around the fountain in TV Centre before yodelling up the mountain?
1: I can do it in the same number as the questionable twins. (laughs) The record breaker is of course fronted by Roy Castle who was in the Hole in One episode of Till Death Do Us Part next to Alfie Bass who rolled up in 1980's Night of 100 Stars with... Peggy Mount.
0: Mince pies. I ran out last year. Ooh. Splendid work. Splendid. That Night of 100 Stars has done so much lifting over the years. It's quite extraordinary.
1: So much heavy lifting, it's getting automatically enrolled into next year's World's Strongest Man competition, yes.
0: Dr Velvet, how about yourself? Well... <laughs> record breaker is, of course, overseen by Norris McWhirter, who was a guest on 1992's Bullseye Christmas Special, alongside Lisa Goddard, who trod the boards in 1978's Golden Gala TV Special with... And some mistletoe, you never know you like. Terrific, 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 terrific. Mr Bognops, can you beat us? Um, Yes, I can do this in the number of litres of Chanel after I've had a drink. The record is, of course, broken here by Rex Williams, who provided voice work for 1979's That Summer, which also starred John Junkin, who cropped up in episodes of Winning Widows and George of the Dragon with... I think I found my upper register
1: Beautiful
0: There we are Well done, well done, very good, very good Okay, while I go and break a record of my own Involving the Grange Hill cast album from 1986 and a Melhammer Blackout's got your socials
1: Thank you once again for being with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are PeggyMountPod on all of the usual socials. Five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to us. Don't forget to go to PeggyMountPod.com to check out the show notes. For this and all of our other episodes, there may just be time to squeeze in a last-minute order from our online shop, hashtag buy the Things.
0: It's as simple as that. It really, really is. Thank you once again to Mr Ozzy Bognops. Pleasure, gentlemen. Lovely to see you both. And see you. you again soon. And you too, indeed. We're back in a week's time to see you through the rest of December with the second of three episodes. Keep the brandy flowing. Christmas shopping doesn't hurt as much. Until next week.
1: Keep keep Megan. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas Mm. Just like the ones I used to know